Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. This is the show that respects your intelligence. We bring you the stories that the mainstream media so often ignore, and we bring you the perspectives that big tech so often seeks to silence. Now, one of the big issues that so many of you have asked about, you've reached out on social media about, is particularly the threat that China might represent to the United States of America. Now, to help us to break this down is Tony Schaefer. He's a retired United States Army Reserve Lieutenant Colonel. He's a New York Times best-selling author, and he is the president of the London Center for Policy Research. Tony, uh, hey. thanks for joining us tonight. If you would, please you. begin by giving our viewers a sense first for the growth in the size and the capability of the Chinese military. Sure. So overall, the military has become very much focused on becoming expeditionary. And this is a huge issue. Uh, one of the things that has held them back over the last uh, several decades is the inability to project force. And you and I both know, Eric, right. uh, our ability to maintain global security is based on our ability to project force. So what they've done is they've gone about uh, essentially engaging in a modernization program. They actually purchased an old uh, Russian carrier. Uh, they're now working to develop that into something that can launch aircraft. Some of the aircraft they're actually trying to, to, to uh, uh, be able to launch off this thing is going to be essentially a version of the MiG-29, the Shenyan uh, J-15, a very much a, a modern aircraft. And so much of this is focused on their ability to affect uh, force projection within the Pacific Rim, specifically Taiwan. Uh, this is a major effort by them because so much of their past effort was focused on being a, a land-based military. You and I are old enough to remember when they made the excursion into Vietnam, didn't go well for them. Uh, these sorts of things they've learned from and they've worked very hard to develop an expanded use of strategic capabilities. And that includes their nuclear force. They've stolen from the United States. Bill Gertz did a book a few years ago called Betrayal, Betrayal, where he talked about the Clinton administration giving up technology which allowed them to then uh, to develop uh, MERVs, multiple independent reentry vehicles for their nuclear program. So suffice to say, they have done everything they can to convert themselves from essentially a land-based conventional military into a 21st century uh, challenger to the, uh, the, our basic force structure within the Pacific. And when we talk about force projection, Tony, we're talking about their ability to actually project force and conduct military operations outside of China. Uh, and Correct. as you and I know, and as, as a lot of our viewers recognize, traditionally the United States has built an ability to project Force. When people think about aircraft carriers, they think about the ability of us to land United States Marines on beaches overseas. All of this That's is right. what we call an expeditionary capability. And what you're letting our viewers understand is that China has been building that kind of expeditionary capability as they modernize. Tony, why, from a strategic perspective, what are China's, in given 
from your perspective, what are their strategic objectives that necessitate them trying to build this kind of force projection capability? It's very simple. Uh, they've become, over the last 20 years, much more nationalistic than communistic. And let me explain that. Mm -hmm. They believe, fundamentally, uh, we did a study on this, my previous think tank, Center for Advanced Defense Studies, we did, did a deep dive, and we looked at this, Eric, from the Chinese perspective. We became, for all intents mm. and purposes, China. And so what we learned from the inside-out study is that they simply believe that they are the uh, an older culture, an older nation than any other country in the Pacific Rim, especially us, and they believe that they have the right to reinsinuate themselves to the boundaries of previous dynasties. So again, this is nationalistic thinking, not communist thinking. They're using communist methodology to implement this. But simply put, they believe they have the right to reestablish the basic bounds that they once held during I think it was the Ming Dynasty, which was, mm. they basically ruled the entire region. So they have actioned that by preparing this larger military force. They prefer today to use what they call soft power. That is to say, to influence their challengers and adversaries by economic and other political techniques. But Eric, uh, I've, I spoke with the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, uh, General Mark Milley, back in 2017 when I was on the transition team. And he outlined to me his personal concerns after studying their military doctrine. And his conclusion was the Chinese indeed are working to establish a path forward to establish dominance, at least in the Pacific Rim, and most likely down the road around the globe. And let's, let's break that down a little bit, Tony. So when we think about the United States and China, and we think about potential conflict, which obviously we all hope doesn't happen, what do you assess right. are the most likely places and issues for potential conflict? You mentioned Taiwan briefly, obviously break that one right. down for us, but there are a number of other places and issues where there might be potential conflict between China and the U.S. Please give our viewers your, your assessment of the most likely places that we need to keep an eye on. Sure. The most obvious is Taiwan because they feel mm -hmm. the, Chinese, uh, the Chinese People's Republic Army, the, the PRC, believe that Taiwan, which is the, the, the Chinese Republic, they are democratic, uh, they believe Taiwan is part of them and, and they want it back. And they've made no, uh, they've, they've never denied this. And they have begun a program of ramping up and being much more provocative to that goal. But what we don't uh, often talk about, Eric, is the fact that there are other challengers within the Pacific Rim that are uh, essentially going to be shoved aside by the Chinese over resource issues. Most important, mm. Uh, protein. One of the things that's happened over and over again, it's been underreported here, is the fact that the Chinese Navy is constantly challenging the Japanese, Koreans, Philippines, uh, yeah. and other nations for dominance to, regarding uh, fishing protein. They have a right. huge pro uh, population which is uh, very much in need of food, and this is not going to go away anytime soon. The other issue is is fuel. Uh, one of the things that's been underreported is the Chinese vulnerability and need for huge amounts of, of petroleum to be moved into the country from the, the, uh, from the Middle East. And one of those areas that we've noticed that has been underreported is India challenging mm -hmm. China because India is becoming a much more prominent economic challenger globally because China uh, is dominating markets, but India wants access 
access to those markets. So one of the things we've seen developing that's been underreported is the Straits of Malacca in Indonesia, mm -hmm. and, 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 and because all the all the oil that goes to China has to go through there. And the Indians have been studying this by the fact that if the Indians so chose, without us being involved, they could make life very difficult for China. So Taiwan, uh, the, the the competition over protein, over fish, and frankly the India. The Indian uh, emergence as a global competitor to the Chinese are all issues which uh, we all need to be paying attention to. Some of those involve us. Uh, I think no matter what happens, we'll be involved. Some of those affect us more directly than others. All right. So we've got territory, food, fuel. It's such an important point, too, about the Straits of Malacca, as many of our, our viewers know. It's really a strategic choke point in Absolutely. many ways in the Pacific. Pacific, especially, especially as regards China's energy needs. Um, let me okay. ask you, Tony, in the time we have left, to talk a little bit how about how Chinese economic growth is actually undergirding their drive to build this expeditionary capability in their military. So uh, they need money, and the way you obtain money, hard currency, and there's an unspoken kind of war right now, currency war going on with us and them is by obtaining resources from those you manufacture products from. Mm -hmm. And so uh, anywhere you go in the United States today, you're going to find things made in China. And I would argue that the Chinese have done this by the fact that they want to essentially establish a, a, a steady stream of hard income for purposes of using it to modernize and build their military. Uh, as I mentioned, Eric, the Indians have observed this. The Indians. Mm -hmm see themselves as a more logical, uh, much more, I think, um, less aggressive uh, economic partner with us. And I think they've made inroads or attempting to make inroads into that. Uh, we learned, and I'm doing, we're doing, working right now with uh, Rutgers University to examine our supply chain and, and looking at how mm -hmm. vulnerable we are by depending on China for many of our critical national security requirements, uh, certain goods, certain materials, certain technology. And so one of the things we have to recognize is that the Chinese are not our friends. And all of those things we depend upon them for economically are really not something we should continue to do. And more importantly, the more we provide economic benefit to the Chinese, the more likely they will build their military capacity to challenge us down the road. So it's something that should be looked at more deeply by General Austin. I know General Milley is looking at this and others in the national security establishment regarding the potential challenging challenges we see coming from China. Yeah, and it's, it's such an important point, Tony, that you made about the vulnerability of a supply chain. And I think that for a lot of Americans, there's a huge wake-up call actually during coronavirus when yes. people started to realize that so many key medical supplies were only available or mostly available from China. And it was a real strategic vulnerability for uh, the United Precisely. States. Tony, thank you so much. Just 20 seconds left, please. Where can folks follow you and the London Center? So, londoncenter.org, and uh, we have a, 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 a podcast called Thought to Action where we talk about all of these issues in greater detail. So look forward to talking to you again soon, Eric. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Tony, thank you so much. Again, folks, that's Tony Schaefer at the London Center for Policy Re Research. Stay right with us, because when we come back, we're going to be joined by Diamond and Silk. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Well, here at Actionable Intelligence, we love to bring you powerful voices, great insights, and compelling perspectives. And that is why I am so pleased to welcome the host of a Sunday afternoon show on Newsmax TV. It is titled Diamond and Silk Crystal Clear. They are the authors of the best-selling book, Uprising. Who the hell said you can't ditch and switch? Welcome, Diamond and Silk. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, and thank, thank you, you for, for having us. us. You bet. You bet. Now, first, Diamond and Silk, I know that you've explained this before to others, but for our audience that hasn't met you yet, please explain, what do you mean by ditch and switch? Well, listen, back in 2015, we loved the candidate, Donald J. Trump, so much, we knew other people loved him, too. Yeah. So we wanted people to, to come off of what we call that Democrat plantation, mm -hmm. switch their party to Republican to vote for Donald J. Trump in the primaries and then go on to vote for him in the general election. That's so right. we started something called the Ditch and Switch Now movement. Mm -hmm. And it was nothing wrong with thinking for yourself, thinking outside of the box. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to be a Democrat. You could be a Republican. You can think for, for yourself. yourself. And that's what we were telling people. And that started a movement back in 2015. Beautiful. Well, okay, Diamond Silk. Now, He's there now. We got a President Biden. Give us your assessment. Give our viewers your assessment. What do you think of the first few days of the Biden administration? Well, I think it's been very dark, very dreary. Yeah. Uh, whenever you have somebody sitting there and they're uh, 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 governing with just a stroke of a pen, yeah. that's very dangerous. That's what I call a dictator. That's right. I don't view him as a president. I view him as a dictator, as part of a communist regime. Right. Well, um, you, how is he governing? Uh, and, and why isn't he doing anything that's going to benefit we, the American people, versus doing stuff that's benefiting himself or selling out this country to another communist country called China. And also on top of all of that, when you look at everything, he's undoing things. Yes. And these things that he's undoing is hurting the American people. That's right. When you take yes. jobs, you wanna dangle, I'm gonna raise minimum wage to $15 an hour, but you wanna take away a job paying 30 and $40 That's an hour. Right. That doesn't make sense. When, when you yeah. wanna take it, you wanna get rid of an executive order at which will cause the price of insulin to go up, which yes, affects right. millions of Americans. They can't live without their, their, without that. There's something wrong with him. So I view this as dark. He said it was going to be a dark winter. Yeah. I view this mm -hmm. as a dark winter. And what I'm telling people to do is pray. Because yes. I believe that prayer changes things. And what's done in the dark, it's time for it to come to the light. That's right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we saw him come in in his first couple of days. He wipes out 11,000 jobs with a stroke of the pen with the Keystone XL pipeline. And you mentioned, you know, he's talking about we the people, but there were no people allowed at his inauguration. No American citizens because they kept him out with fences and barbed wire. Now, 
Now, coming up next week, right, we all saw Speaker Pelosi did her drive-by impeachment of President Trump. Next week, it heads to the Senate under Chuck Schumer, Diamond and Silk. What do you make of all this? Well, first of all, you got to ask yourself, why is it that they are trying to really just uh, get rid of President Donald J. Trump? What are they mm -hmm. afraid of? Mm -hmm. Because you've got to be afraid to go after a private citizen. This man is now a private citizen. Yes, he's still our president in my mind. He will never stop being our president, but he's right. a private citizen. So why are you going after him? Why are you trying to demonize him in front of the world, in front of the American people? The more they do that, the yeah. more we love him even more. That's right. So I don't know what they're doing, why they're doing it, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work. They can try to do whatever they want to. You would never be able to erase this man's legacy. You have people right now that's having buyer's remorse mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. voting for Biden. Let me tell you something. People are going to wish President Trump was back in that White House. That's right. Well, in my, my opinion, I, I'd be curious on yours. Is it President Trump is actually going to emerge stronger after this impeachment? than he was before because it just shows the viciousness of the left that they're willing to go after him with these kind of baseless lies. We saw for years they pushed this Russia collusion hoax, which yeah. we now know was completely fake, was built yeah. on a document from Christopher Steele. He admitted himself he built the whole thing because he wanted to distract from Hillary Clinton's email scandal. Do you think that, that President Trump emerges even stronger from what they're trying to do with this impeachment? Bigger, yes. better, stronger than we've ever seen him before. That's right. Listen, you can kick him all you want to. You can try to kick him down. He's going to rise up bigger, better, and stronger because the American people are awakening. I said, you know what? Is it possible that we could be going through this here so that we can make them wake the masses? Yeah. It's time for mm. people to drop the political affiliation. That's because right. Because when you look at both sides, it's like a corrupt bird with two yeah. dirty wings. Yeah. And it's just all corrupt, both, both sides. Yeah. So I say drop the political affiliation and let's stand together as we, the American people, and let's wake up. Let's look at our systems. Yeah. Let's look at who you're voting in and how these people can tear your livelihoods down with a stroke of a pen. Wow. See, when President Trump signed the first executive order uh -huh. his first day, they wanted to deem him as a dictator. What do you call Biden that done signed, what, 40 executive what orders? What do you call him? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, one of the things that's been so striking is this difference between the rhetoric that you heard from Joe Biden and the Democrats and the actual reality that they are bringing. But I wanna pick up on the point that you made. We hear from our viewers all the time that a lot of times, you know, people used to think that politics was a conflict between Democrats and Republicans. Now they feel like it's really just the conflict between the American people and the establishment, between the American people and the swamp, between the American people and politicians and lobbyists. What do you, what do you say to that? Oh, you're absolutely right. True. You have people up there working for their own greed and not the need of the American people. That's right. They playing identity politics. They're demonizing one group. I say they all should quit because they ain't doing nothing for us. That's right. We paid their salary. Yep. They didn't they mm -hmm. vote for them to have a raise. And they sitting up there talking about impeaching a private citizen, yeah. talking about putting measures in place, 
demonizing Trump supporters and, and, and calling them extreme terrorists. Yeah. I mean, this is that this it, doesn't it, make sense. It's starting to feel like our government, well, it's been feeling like our government have been against we, the American people. When I look at our Constitution mm -hmm. and our Declaration of Independence, that's been trumpeted on. The Constitution have been broken. Laws have been broken thanks to our government, and they have not been held responsible or accountable for that. Mm -hmm. And it's time for we, the American people, that's to right. really stand up, open up our mouths, and not be afraid to speak out. Because once again, we pay their salary. Our tax dollars pay their salaries. They're supposed to be working for we, the American people, not the other way around. And it feels like we've been used and abused and thrown back somewhere into a corner to, and told to shut up, don't you say nothing, or we're going to silence you, we're going to censure you. If we have our tax dollars have to pay their salaries, then they need to be working for us or they need to retire, go somewhere and rock their grandbaby. That's right. That's right. And I want to get your opinion too because you guys have come out and you've been there for a long time speaking out courageously and you said to everybody, hey, you know, think for yourself and speak right. your mind. But now, but now we have big tech coming in oh, yeah. and they're going to decide who gets to say what, when, where, and how. What's your view of this censorship that we're seeing from big tech of conservative voices? Well, you know, we've been talking about uh, 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 this here censorship about conservative voices. We started talking about that back in 2018. Yeah. We was up there mm -hmm. on the Hill testifying about it. So this here is happening. What it feels like to me, Eric, it feels like big tech and even our media, which is owned by six corporations, mm -hmm. is holding the American people hostage. Yeah. If you don't go yeah. along with their narrative, what they're using is these entities to weaponize them against the people that choose not to go along with their narratives. That's I think right. it's a sad day in America. And how do we combat that as the American people? We do the same thing like those patriots did with That's this right. hedge fund uh, and this stock market. That's right. How they brought them down. What you do, you need to stop watching this left-leaning media. Mm -hmm. Cut it off. Yep. Because, see, they make their money based on ratings. That's how they can charge for commercials. That's right. Social media, you need to turn it off. Yep. Get rid mm -hmm. of it. It's yep. what needs to happen. Hit them where it hurts in their pockets and they will stop that. But we have to stand together as Americans. You know, Martin Luther King have a quote. I can't I may not can't quote it right, but I'm just going to say it. He said we may have all came over here on different ships. But right now we're in the same boat. In the same he boat. is right. Yep. Listen, all of us is in the same boat. When 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 the cost of insulin drives up, it don't affect just Republicans. It affects Republicans right. and Democrats. Everybody. That's why we need to meet in the middle, yep. get on the same page, mm -hmm. and fight this tyranny head on. These people are trying to usher in soft socialism, which is going to turn into some hardcore communism. That's right. We can't let that happen in the United States because we are the greatest country on earth. We believe in freedoms. This is a republic, and the republic yes. has got to stand. Absolutely. And very quickly, Diamond, so just a few seconds left your words to the American people about prayer and how we revive the American Republic. Listen, every day we pray at 1121 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, praying for this country. How we revive our republic, say no to what you don't want. If we see tyranny when it comes to our media, turn it off. That's when we right. see tyranny coming to big tech, 
don't use their products. That's right. That's what's got to happen. We got to go back old school. That's we right. Got to go, yeah. We got to stop depending on these people because it's easy and go back old school and do what we used now to just, do back just ten, 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 10 seconds left. Remind our viewers where they can follow you on social media and where they can catch your show, please. Oh, we have our new social media platform called Chatted, C-H-A-T-D-I-T.com. And we're on Newsmax on Saturdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Diamond and Silk, Crystal Clear. Follow them, folks. That's Diamond and Silk. They've always got a compelling perspective and, at the end of the day, incredibly hopeful, patriotic perspective. Stay right here with us on Actionable Intelligence. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. As you know, here we work to bring you the stories that the mainstream media so often fail to cover, and we love to do so in partnership with the team at justthenews.com. They've got a story out there now. Fauci reverses himself again. He says that double masking for COVID-19 doesn't make a difference. Now, of course, this was Dr. Fauci who first said, don't wear a mask. Then he said, wear a mask. And he said, wear two masks. Then he said, just wear one mask. Now, keeping up with Dr. Anthony Fauci's mask-wearing recommendations is getting tough. But the man who's been diligently following all of Dr. Fauci's different positions from the beginning is Daniel Payne, just the news reporter who has written that story. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Eric, always good to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, Daniel, tell us about this latest reversal from Dr. Fauci. And if you could walk our viewers, many of whom have painfully lived it, but walk them through the history of Fauci's different positions on mask wearing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, a lot of people will probably remember at the start of this pandemic, uh, almost exactly a year ago uh, in the U.S., uh, health officials, including Anthony Fauci, were were very persistently counseling the American public not to wear, not to wear masks. They said it wouldn't do any good. There was no evidence to support it. Uh, it might make people feel better, but it wasn't going to prevent the spread of COVID. That's what Dr. Fauci said and what many others said. Uh, come about uh, late March, early April, give or take, uh, into the early spring, um, health officials, including Fauci, did a, a, a very prominent 180. Fauci came out and he said that uh, it was actually very important to wear masks and that uh, the community should be wearing masks on kind of a wide scale. And as the year went on, uh, those uh, directives to masks got ever more fervent uh, uh, from Dr. Fauci. Uh, they got, uh, you know, he stressed over and over again how critical the spread of, uh, you know, how critical preventing the spread of, uh, of COVID was and how doing a, wearing a mask uh, could help with that. Um, and, you know, as, as the year went on, uh, there were any number of predictions uh, from Fauci and others as to uh, if, if more and more masks were worn, we would see cases go down. And, um, you know, we know that really doesn't necessarily seem to have been the case. Uh, you know, far, far more Americans are wearing masks now than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. But we are just coming down off of a massive spike in cases in this country. So 
uh, at, at the tail end of that spike, um, Dr. Fauci has now suggested that wearing two masks might be just the solution we need uh, to fight COVID. And he said that recently. He said um, that the, you know two masks makes co it's common sense and, uh, and it, it really might be a good thing to do. Um, a little while later, a few days later, he said that um, there was actually no evidence to support uh, the wearing of two masks. And then a while after that, he said again that it was probably a good idea. So it's really actually quite difficult to get a genuine bead on what Dr. Fauci actually thinks about masks at any one time. Yeah, and Daniel, you know, all of our viewers recognize that a correlation is not causation, but it's also very clear from the science that's coming out, from the studies that are coming out, that you've got states like California that have been imposed these really strict lockdowns, and you've written about this, had these really strict lockdowns, and then you compare them to states like Florida, and by many measures, States like Florida, which have been much more open than places like California, are actually doing better. I think one of the things, you know, that's so frustrating to people is that it seems like, you know, Dr. Fauci's suggestions, recommendations, or even legal threats that come just simply aren't based in, in science. Well, Daniel, I know that you and the team are going to continue to watch what Dr. Fauci uh, says there and continue to report on it. You've also got another story that's gotten a lot of traction at justthenews.com, and that is, Daniel, that amid reported deaths following COVID-19 vaccinations, experts are allaying fears and discouraging alarm. Uh, tell our viewers a little bit more about what we know right now. Yeah, so what we're seeing on that front is, um, is uh, the publicly accessible vaccine adverse event reporting system on the CDC's website. Uh, this is a place where American citizens can go and report what they believe are adverse events in connection with vaccines, including the COVID-19 vaccine. And what we've observed in the weeks since the rollout of the vaccine began um, is a, a fair number, dozens or hundreds of deaths reported after the vaccine. Now, uh, CDC officials are, are very quick to caution, very, very, very thorough in cautioning that just because an adverse event is in that system doesn't mean it's connected to the vaccine. So if you see a death in that system, it doesn't necessarily mean that the vaccine caused it. But nevertheless, there are numerous reports in the system of deaths occurring 12 hours, 24 hours, very short periods of time after the vaccine was administered to a patient. So what's clear is that with, with all of these reports go, you know, rolling in uh, on a daily basis, you know, health officials kind of have their work cut out for them. They need to be looking into these things. They're going to be investigating each case and seeing um, if the death was connected in some way, if it wasn't. Uh, like I said, health officials are quick to caution that, uh, that these shouldn't be interpreted immediately as causation. But uh, the data is there on the CDC's website for everybody to access, and it's a very important resource as the vaccine rollout continues. And yeah, and again, on this same point, we should make clear that correlation is not causation. Just because someone had the vaccine and then died hours or days later does not mean, of course, that it was caused by the vaccine. But it is certainly something uh, which health officials are going to, going to want to investigate. And I, I will remind all of our viewers that you, Daniel, just like all of the reporters at JustTheNews.com, on all of Daniel's stories, you can go to JustTheNews.com. And Daniel will have, as all of the reporters do, a dig-in section so you can click yourself and you can actually look at some of the research and some of the data that Daniel's used for these, for these stories. Another yep. story uh, you've got out, out, Daniel, 
is about unanswered questions shadowing the NIH-funded Wuhan lab that performed COVID research pre-pandemic. What do our viewers need to know there? Yeah, so the Wuhan Institute of Virology has been kind of one of the, the, the major flashpoints of this pandemic uh, over the past 13 months or so. Uh, and that laboratory, it's an infectious disease, disease laboratory in Wuhan, and it is actually situated just a few miles from where the Chinese government says the outbreak began. The Chinese government says it began in a wet market uh, where the, the virus may have jumped from uh, some sort of uh, uh, animal product into humans. But a few miles away is a laboratory where they have been doing work on coronaviruses uh, for many years. And part of that work has been funded through the U.S. National Institutes of Health, a federal agency, by way of a New York nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance. So there's, there's a very interesting money trail there, and there's a very interesting several years' worth of experiments on coronaviruses um, investigating their infectiousness, their potential for spillover into the human population, um, and the fact that, again, the outbreak is said to have occurred just a few miles from where this lab is situated has raised a lot of questions about what kind of experiments they were doing there and also what their biosecurity measures were like to ensure that viruses couldn't leak out. Yeah, and, and again, I actually feel like it, it's a theme of our segment here, right? The correlation, the fact that the Wuhan lab was right next to where this broke out does not necessarily mean that it came from the lab, but right. man, it certainly means that it is a powerful hypothesis that would have to be investigated. It's one of the reasons oh, yeah. why so many people have been frustrated but by what they feel like is the Chinese Communist Party's unwillingness to really be transparent about the origins yeah. of this virus. And Daniel, I remember that you also mentioning that the New York nonprofit that was funding the Wuhan lab is actually tied to one of Joe Biden's uh, appointees or some of the folks on his team. Could you, could you remind our viewers about that potential connection as well? So yeah, actually, the, the fellow who runs EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Dajak, is in charge, he's not in charge of, but he's helping lead a World Health Organization team investigating the origins of COVID-19. So the fact that um, this fellow is, is helping to supervise uh, this really critical investigation into the emergence of the coronavirus, just a few miles from a coronavirus lab that he was helping to fund uh, just prior to the outbreak of the pandemic, that raises the specter of, of, of some potential mm. conflicts of interest. And, and what we're all waiting to see is how diligently this investigation is conducted, uh, how those conflicts of interest are addressed, and, and ultimately, if it's a, a fair and thorough investigation that really gets to the heart of where this deadly virus came from. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I, sh I should be clear. So that individual is working with the World Health Organization. The Biden administration is now embracing the World Health Organization. And the very person who is potentially in charge of part of the investigation of where the, the origins of the virus was part of the nonprofit that was responsible for funding part of right. the, the Wuhan uh, lab. So, uh, Daniel, just about 45 seconds left. Uh, what are we expecting next from the Biden administration as, relate, as it relates to the coronavirus? You know, I think everybody in the Biden administration is keeping their fingers crossed that uh, the vaccines work, that there aren't an avalanche of adverse effects associated with it. 
the cases continue on the downward trend that they're on, um, I think that they're going to be hoping to see that that trend continues and that the outlook improves. And if it continues to do so, I don't think they're going to change much. I think they're going to stay the course and hope that everything gets better. But of course, an upswing in cases could throw all that into chaos. So it's really over the next few weeks and months, it's, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen. Awesome. Well, folks, again, that is Daniel Payne. He is one of the outstanding reporters at justthenews.com. He has been following the coronavirus pandemic now for almost a year. He's been doing an outstanding job. You can check out his stories and others at justthenews.com. And as I mentioned earlier, you can not only read the stories, but if you're curious, you can actually dig in and you can see the raw data that these reporters are using. Well, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Sophie Mann, and we're going to break down some of the biggest stories of the day that are trending across the country and at justthenews.com. Stay right with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. And as you saw in our last segment with Daniel Payne, and as you know, we have a fantastic team here at justthenews.com. They are always following events on a daily basis and bringing you the stories that the mainstream media so often ignores. Well, joining us now is Just the News reporter Sophie Mann. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Of course, my pleasure. I understand. Uh, update on what's happening with, with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. What do you know? Yes. Well, so at this very moment, Congress is finishing up its vote to strip Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments that she was just handed. We know that she is a newly sworn in member of Congress who has caused quite a bit of controversy these past few weeks. Um, and what's happened basically over this past week is that the Democrats and Republicans have moved in certain ways that have led us to this vote, um, what we're looking at is a simple majority. So we know that the Democrats need a simple majority to pass this measure. It looks as though they will get that. And uh, Miss Taylor Green will be stripped of her committee assignments, which are um, she, she was about to be a member of the uh, Education Committee and the Labor Committee. So it seems that she will sort of be censured in this way, sort of a, a member of Congress who is not quite able to act um, in the ways that the, her constituents elected her to do. And this, as we know, if, we've, uh, if, if you've been tracking the story, kind of dates back to um, a long string of earlier comments she had made prior to her time uh, in Congress, really even prior to her time um, running for Congress. The past couple of days have really challenged her and sort of the idea of what uh, a free and fair election means and what the voice of the people who elected her mean. Um, she's, you know, had to apologize to members of her own caucus, members of Congress in general, the media, the press, her constituents. Um, but it seems as though it's, at least on her end, all for naught, because uh, as of tonight, it, it seems as though she will be stripped of her committee assignments in what has basically been a down-the-line um, party-line vote. Yeah, and, and Sophie, there was another uh, big vote actually inside the Republican caucus. If you could give our viewers an update on that, and that had to do with Liz Cheney. She's a member of House leadership, 
Uh, she actually came out and voted for President Trump's impeachment uh, just recently. There was a big rally in Wyoming of her own residents who were tremendous supporters of the president, uh, calling on her to, to resign. Congressman Matt Gates and others flew out to Wyoming for that. Give our viewers an update on, on what happened there, please. Yeah, of course. Congress has been pretty busy these past 24 hours. Um, so as you said, Liz Cheney, the uh, third ranking member of the Republican caucus, came out in what was, I think, a pretty surprising move for a lot of her constituents and the people who know her and sort of the Republican caucus writ large in support of uh, the impeachment of President Trump, um, a, a move that she has stood firmly by. But there was certainly a rally cry after that announcement. Um, from within her own party saying you shouldn't have done this. You are dividing the caucus. And as a as a leader of the caucus, uh, that is something that you should not be doing. We need to stand by the president the, at that point. Anyway, the leader of the Republican Party. Um, and so there was a movement against her remaining in the leadership. Uh, we know that um, Congressman Matt Gates spoke pretty vociferously for a number of days that he felt that the Republicans had the votes needed to remove Liz Cheney from her leadership post. Um, what ended up happening was that, that that doesn't appear to have been the case at all. It was the difference between last night's vote and tonight's vote is that last night's vote was a secret ballot. So we don't mm -hmm. know which Republicans voted for Cheney to remain in her leadership post and which ones voted against her. But she ended up winning her spot, keeping her spot um, by a margin of more than two to one. So this was a decisive victory for Cheney and her safety and her leadership position. And it's sort of unclear. And we will see in the days ahead exactly what this indicates for the Republican Party going forward. And, you know, obviously in this post-Trump age, we're sort of mm -hmm. seeing some realignments and factional divides and allyships change. And I think that this was sort of, to an extent, emblematic of um, the difference between what people say out loud to their constituents when their name is attached to a vote versus mm -hmm. what they um, go about doing behind closed doors. Yeah, and that was, as you mentioned, it was a, a secret vote, uh, so not one where... Uh, congressmen are going to be and women are going to be able to be held accountable for it to their to their constituents. Um, I want to go through some of the big stories now at at justthenews.com. One of the biggest stories, uh, the first one that's trending at justthenews.com, has to do with Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez and some of the claims that she made. Uh, about what happened on January 6th. What, what's the latest there, Sophie? Yeah, well, so a couple of nights ago, um, AOC, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, went live on her Instagram to recount uh, her harrowing details of what happened to her on January 6th, the day of the Capitol breach. I mean, we know she's been speaking out about this a lot since um, last month. She seems to be quite emotionally stirred and shaken. And that uh, night on her Instagram Live, she sort of detailed exactly what her experience was. And I think that viewers sort of across the aisle on both sides of the spectrum became a little bit more familiar with the fact that this seemed to be more of an emotional reaction to legitimately traumatic events, but ones mm -hmm. that didn't exactly match the seriousness on the ground of what she was saying. So um, the thing that people are really paying attention to right now is that uh, AOC was, was not actually in the Capitol Dome at the time of the breach, which is, of course, where the majority of the rioters ended up sort of storming past security and uh, into the chamber halls and, you know, just destroying the building in some capacity. But she was actually, the Capitol complex is made up of three buildings, and she 
was in her office, which was in a completely separate building. Um, we know that the, you know, the knocks she heard, the loud pounding mm. noises that, of course, initially rattled her, actually belonged to members of the Capitol Police. So despite, you know, how mm. she felt about that at the outset of the incident, it, it seems she wasn't actually in as much danger as she felt. And now we're learning that she actually wasn't even in the location that sort of suffered the greatest hit that day. Um, so I think there's just viewers are being given a little bit of pause in, you know, um, yeah. believing wholesale her narrative of what happened that day. Excellent. And, and Sophie, the second big story that's trending at uh, justthenews.com right now has to do with, with uh, Jen Psaki. It says, off to a rocky start as White House press secretary. Mm -hmm. Break that down for our viewers, please. Well, so Jen Psaki has been giving us almost daily press briefings since uh, President Biden took office uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, one thing that has been characteristic of these briefings is her line, I'll circle back to you. Um, this has been something that, you know, when we would see Kaylee McEnany give briefings, we, we never heard anything quite as vague as that from her. We would hear, I don't know, I haven't spoken to the president about this, or give me until 5 p.m., I will shoot you an email about that. And what we rarely heard from reporters, actually, was them coming back the next day saying, you didn't follow up and we still need answers. And we've heard that quite a few times with Jen Psaki. I mean, I think the way that people are interpreting this is that she, as a member of the Biden administration, who, of course, by and large, the mainstream media goes a lot more gently on, um, feels, in a sense, above uh, answering their questions that she doesn't want to answer, that it isn't a good time for the administration to answer, or that the administration does not have satisfactory answers to. Um, she's also gotten in a little bit of trouble for using, you know, tones that people feel are somewhat dismissive. Um, mm. And, you know, it's early. She's still adjusting to the job, so we'll see what happens. But I think it's interesting to note that even for a Democratic administration, the general interpretation of her performance is that it uh, could use some work. Yeah, and, and Sophie, uh, and that next big story, again, trending at justthenews.com, uh, is titled Congressman, that the new fence around the Capitol means we ought to continue our fence on the border, of course, referring to the fence on the border between the United States and Mexico, which, as almost all of our viewers know by now, uh, Joe Biden has ordered that the construction down there be, be halted. Break that story down if you could. for, for Well, I mean, I think this is just a, a classic instance of um, what we've seen from a lot of Democrats this past year. Uh, the rules for me are not the same ones that apply to you, you being the mm. American people by and large. So, I mean, we know that the border wall was erected initially and, you know, still continuing to be built in some capacities um, to protect American citizens, to um, make it more difficult for illegal immigrants, some dangerous, some not, uh, to come into the country. And I mean, I think especially in a moment like this where Congress is feeling like the United States, and that almost always means the United States taxpayers, need to spend a lot of money and time and effort ensuring their safeties and safety. And you know, of course, members of Congress should be and feel safe at their jobs, but so should Americans. And certainly so should Americans on those sort of difficult border towns um, with high crime rates and all sorts of other issues that this, this, uh, the border wall really kind of fixed for them to some degree. And so I think this is just a moment where Congress won't, but we hope they would, look inward to examine why they feel mm. that they need this border around their place of work, but they don't think, you know, that the country that they were elected to protect needs the same kind of protection. Yeah, it's certainly something we're hearing a lot from from folks on social media that you're keeping American citizens out of their capital. 
and yet halting the construction of a border wall at the border of the country. Now, you know, sticking with the border, another story that's trending is that the Border Patrol agents arrested a group of 11 Iranians who had illegally entered the United States. This just happened recently. What do we know there? Well, basically what we know is, uh, I mean, effectively, it's much of what you said. A group of Iranians were arrested. Um, we were not 100 percent certain exactly what their motives were yet. But I mean, I think that this is something that over the past few weeks, as the administration has changed, we've been um, told to look out for, which is foreign groups, especially from the Middle East, some of the better known terror organizations looking to spring into action as the United States has portrayed sort of an image of uncertainty and internal conflict, you know, factional disagreements and what have you. I think that there is this ongoing concern from our um, national security forces that uh, outside enemies, enemies of the United States and its people are using this moment to spring into action and attempt to run all sorts of schemes and plots and other evil deeds. Um, and, you know, we're grateful that uh, our security forces were able to apprehend these folks. And we will uh, keep up with the story of exactly why they were apprehended and awesome. what they were up to. Well, Sophie, I know that you and the team will keep investigating to figure out exactly who they were and how they came uh, into the country. Well, folks, stay right here for Dr. Gina Primetime. It's coming up next.